teachers and preachers uh, were for the, the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, the idea of us growing and maturing. And uh, we, don't use, we don't use human resources to measure by it. We use biblical principles. Are we growing in specific areas? And we gave you a list of those last week. And uh, then we talked a little bit about uh, how we grow to these places. How do we get to a place where these are becoming marks of our life? They're measurements of our life. And uh, so we're going to take a few moments to take a look at that. Let's look in John uh, chapter number 7 and hold your place there. We're going to open with the word of prayer and then uh, move on into this. Uh, John chapter number 7. And let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do pray that you'll bless the time that we spend here together this afternoon. Give us your guidance. And I pray that you would help us to be open, receptive, and sensitive to the teaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to hold without apology to what your Bible says, what your word says for us. And may we, may we learn from it. May it direct our lives. And Lord, even in the times that we don't like what it says and we don't necessarily want to make the change, I pray that you'd help us to be willing enough and longing for us to be pleasing to you enough that we are willing to follow your word regardless of the cost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, John chapter number 7, and uh, we're going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you five uh, biblical questions, I think, that ought to dictate uh, our actions. If we're going to grow uh, in maturity, then we have to know the heart of God. We've got to draw closer to Him. The only way we're going to do that is by studying His Word. Um, there are two basic ways that we learn from God's Word. Um, one of them is, uh, really, there's, I guess there, you could say there's three ways uh, to know it. And one of them is God will specifically state it in Scripture. It's just black and white. There's no uh, question about it. Uh, however, we need to understand that when God penned this book, uh, He made sure that it was, um, the, the term people like to use today is relevant. You've heard people talk about that. Well, the Bible's not relevant. God wrote this book so that it would be relevant in every generation. And so, you know, God doesn't tell us, uh, thou shalt not wear sunglasses, because some generations would not know what that meant. And I use that as a frivolous thing. There's not anything wrong with wearing sunglasses that I know of. But I just wanted to say, yeah, there you go, Brother Tom's taking them off, putting on Miss Kathy's head. But uh, what I am getting at here is there are some things that God doesn't specify. So some things He does. Uh, some things He says, you know, you're not to uh, commit immorality uh, with uh, someone outside of the bonds of marriage or uh, to have fornication. He deals with the topics of our hair uh, for men. He talks about us. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. It talks about the women's hair uh, being her glory. Uh, talks uh, very clearly about dress uh, issues. And we'll look at a couple of those by way of example today. So some of them are very, very clear, but others of them are not. You won't find thou shalt not smoke in Scripture. Uh, but you will find certainly teaching in Scripture that teaches that we ought not to smoke. Uh, there are things that certainly we know the heart of God on. So there's two basic things that we look for when we come to God's Word. In order for us to be able to mature, we want to find out 
what is it that the Bible has to say on the issue? Uh, and what we often do in the day that we live, and this is something that we have to be so careful of, we often will say, well, God doesn't specifically state it in Scripture, therefore it's not wrong. But what we're missing is we do understand what God's heart is on the issue. And if we go contrary to God's heart on the issue, then it's still wrong. Um, there are other things <laughs> that we use <coughs> by saying that it's not written in Scripture. And that is when we devise things beyond Scripture and say, okay, God teaches that you should not do this, and it really is not fitting with Bible principle. It's just something that maybe we personally have a soapbox issue on. Uh, and so we've got to be careful that we go far enough with Scripture, but we don't go outside of Scripture or beyond Scripture. Uh, for instance, and I'll just give you the, 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 the general gist of this. The Bible says that it is a shame for a man to have long hair. Well, I was listening to a preacher the other day, a good preacher, solid preacher, and uh, was letting it rip. And, I mean, he was going to town on this whole thing of um, having long hair. And his definition, and he told it in the message, he said uh, it needs to be off of the ear and off of the collar and tapered all the way around, which is the way I grew up. That's off the ear, off the collar, tapered all the way around. But I weigh 300 pounds. I don't have a neck. My hair, when it is short and tapered, is on my collar. So to say that it is not to touch the collar is extra biblical. That's, that's a, a line that someone has put because a line has to be put somewhere. And uh, now, is that line wrong? No, it's not a wrong line, but we can't say that it's Scripture. Okay? Do you, do you follow what I'm saying on that? So there's some things we have to get to and say, okay, we know God's heart on the subject, and here's where I'm going to set my line to make sure that I at least meet or exceed that, that demand of God, okay? Everybody understand where we're going with that? Okay, so we have to be somewhat, somewhat careful on some of these things. So we're going to see two different types of things in Scripture. Um, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you a couple of examples, and then I'm going to give you five questions uh, that I think we need to ask from Scripture uh, about every aspect of our life. And if those five questions don't answer uh, significantly, and we don't uh, have full understanding in our heart about it, the subject, once we've asked those five questions, then the best rule of thumb is, if those don't answer it, don't do it. Okay? My dad used to say years ago, when in doubt, don't. And I think that the Bible is pretty clear that if we don't understand it from our heart, and we don't have that full understanding of the subject, then we just abstain from it. We stay away from it. And we don't look at it as a license to sin. We look at it as, I don't know God's heart, so if I'm going to err, I'm going to err to the side of caution. Um, so we're going to look at a few things here. Sometimes it's black and white. Sometimes, uh, if it's not black and white, there is a very specific principle that can be applied, and it's a very direct principle. And then if you can't find a principle of Scripture, occasionally, uh, not very often, but occasionally, we have to then know what does God's heart say about it? What is his desire? What does he want um, to, to know about these things? Uh, let's look at a couple of things here. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 47. And this isn't a message on uh, modesty, but I'm going to use the subject of dress for just a minute to illustrate this uh, to some degree. Uh, Isaiah chapter number 47 and uh, verse number 1. We're going to start there. Uh, there is, a, there is a subject of modesty that is taught in Scripture. Uh, 
one of the issues is the level of modesty, if all you do is take the subject of modesty as itself, can be somewhat subjective. What may be modest to somebody may not be modest to somebody else, and so you have to kind of be careful of some of those things um, in how you do that. Uh, in fact, the Bible talks about the fact that if, if you are not settled in your own mind of, on that issue, then you're not to judge somebody else on it. Uh, whether you have a higher standard and you're judging somebody lower than you or whether you have the lower standard and you're judging somebody higher than you, if you're not settled on it in your heart because you haven't found it in Scripture yet, you're not to judge on it. But once you know the Scripture on it, then you're to hold to that conscience. You're to have that. That is, that is to you. That is where you have to be on it. Now, let's look in, and that's found in uh, Romans 14. We're going to look a little bit into that in just a few moments. Let's take a look in uh, Isaiah chapter 47, and let's look... And verse number 1. So, again, dealing with the issue of modesty, uh, again, just the term modesty, there can be some subjectivity to it. So let's see what does God say. Does he have an impression? Does he have a heart on the issue? And uh, so here's an illustration of, of that. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin, daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, uh, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Notice this, uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Now I'm going to stop there for just a moment because we're going to, and we're going to continue in just a minute. The description given in verse 2 is that the leg is uncovered. Now that's a fairly general term. The leg goes all the way down to the foot. So just coming up beyond the ankle could be considered the leg. But he goes on to say the uncovering specifically here, he narrows it down a little bit more in verse number 2 as the thigh. And so the thigh comes from the, the, the knee basically up to the hip. God's heart on the issue is found in verse number 3. Thy what? What does God consider the exposing of the leg? Uh, to the point of seeing the thigh. God's opinion of it is what? That, that that's nakedness. A good form of nakedness or a bad form of nakedness, if there is such a thing? Let's look and see what else he says. Yea, thy what? Shame shall be seen. This is the heart of God on the issue. Some people say, well, is my skirt too long or not long enough? Uh, God has a heart on the issue, doesn't he? he? He defines the uncovering of the leg and the thigh specifically as what he considers to be nakedness and shameful. So when we're setting a standard of dress and modesty, to just use the verses in the New Testament that just deal strictly with modesty alone can leave some area for subjectivity until we know the heart of God on the matter. And then when we know the heart of God on the matter, we begin to understand this. Now, some of us are probably sitting here saying, well, pastor's picking on the women. Uh, does, he have a, does he have a thought on this with regards to men? Well, absolutely he does. Let's go back to Exodus chapter number 20, and let's see what God's heart is for men. Exodus chapter number 20. And uh, let's go to verse number 26. Exodus chapter number 20. Uh, we're going to start in verse number 22, I'm sorry. And he's dealing here with the priesthood. And uh, he says in verse number 22, And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say... Uh, under the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Um, you know what? I've got the wrong passage here. I apologize. Am I looking in the right place? 
Yep, there we go. No, we're in the right place. I just was, uh, I went too high on the verses because I wanted to get the context. That's why. Okay. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto thee, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen in all places where I record thy name. I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, so he's still dealing here with the person that's going to be doing the sacrificing. He says, If thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Neither shalt thou go up by steps, notice this phrase, unto mine altar. In other words, it's not to be lifted up by steps, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. The idea here, and think of it in terms of the, the priest, the priest's robes were all the way down to the ankles, weren't they? They were very big, flowing. And so you weren't going to see a lot, but you were going to see some of the men's legs, weren't you, if they were up on the steps. They were going to be exposed to the knee, possibly even into the thigh area. Once again, God refers to this even for men as what? Nakedness. Uh, I was reading a thing from, that was written in the 1800s about the swim attire and how appalled the author of this article was uh, at the attire of, of the swimming garments. And he described how, how vile and, uh, and uh, immodest it was that they had uh, sleeveless tops. They were more like a tank top of a, of a sleeve. And that uh, the... the and it was a one-piece suit that the suit only came down to the knees. And they considered this to be very immodest of, for the day, that people had, had taken the, the sleeves off and that they were raising the, the swimwear up to the knee. And that was in the 1800s, early 1800s, that, somebody that wore that was somebody that was uh, loose morally. Um, and then I got to the end of the standard uh, that they were talking about. And it was not a standard for women's swimsuits. They were talking how immodest it was for the men to be wearing this. Now, I sell that to say we have drifted a long way. In 100, 150 years, uh, we have drifted a long way in the area of our modesty, in the area of our hair, in the area of our standards. When we want to grow mature in our Christian life, I made a statement the other night in the message. Uh, I think it was Wednesday night. We ought to have such a heart for the testimony that we have that belongs to God that we shouldn't even have to teach on standards. The, the truth of the matter is we do have to because of the day we live in. But it ought to be our heart's desire to go to God's Word and learn these for ourselves. It really ought to be the heart of a Christian to say, I, I want to know not only the black and white, I want to know the principle." And if I can find that principle, and even maybe if I don't see the principle, then I at least want to see, does God tell me what He thinks about it? Is there something in Scripture that can help me understand what is the heart of God on the issue? Uh, and so we find these things, and they will help us to define what our standards ought to be. Now, there's five uh, questions that I think we ought to ask ourselves uh, that we find beginning in uh, John chapter number 7. Hopefully you're still there. John chapter number 7, and we'll begin in verse number 17. Uh, there are five different questions that I think are very critical that we ask ourselves 
uh, about decisions we make, the way we live our lives, what our standards are, all of those things ought to be asked by these questions. John chapter 7 and verse number 17. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. Uh, I'm sorry, let me back up because I missed a word here. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. The question is this. Am I willing to do God's will once I know it? Am I willing to do God's will once I know it? God tells me here that if I'm willing to do His will, then I will know His doctrine. If my heart is to do the will of God, it's going to drive me to this book. And I'm going to feast on this book. And I'm going to study this book. And I'm going to labor on this book. And, and I, I'll tell you this. There's a, every once in a while, Brother Harold and I will joke about this or cut up about this. There is not any special dispensation given to pastors beyond what God gives to any other Christian with regards to understanding His Word. God doesn't come down with a shining light on Saturday nights or on Monday mornings or whenever it is the preacher is getting ready for his next message and shine the light from heaven down and go, Oh, here's the divine truth. And nobody else gets it unless you share it with them. That is not what happens. God gave me the same Holy Spirit that He gives you. And what we must all do as God's people, as God's children, is study God's Word looking to do His will with the desire to know Him and to know His heart, not just His law, not just the principles, but His heart so that I can be maturing in my Christian life. And God promises here in John chapter number 7 that if I will do His will, I'll know His doctrine. Why? Because it's going to cause me to go find His will in His Word. I'm going to pour over it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to devour it. A few moments ago, we went down and we had some good eating down there. And there was some food down there that was just out of this world. And we were like, oh, I'm hungry. I've got to have some of that. The Bible says this in the book of Psalms, as the heart, speaking of a deer, H-A-R-T, as the heart panteth after the water books, so my soul longeth after thee, O Lord. With my whole heart, he says, have I sought thee. O let me not wander from my comm thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? Because I've sought it with my whole heart. I will do his will in my life. And if that's my desire, then I will know His doctrine. I will be maturing. And can I help you with this? That while you may learn some standards from preaching and Sunday school teachers and the ladies' meeting or a men's meeting, we will, we will build our standards not because I was taught that, but because I found it in God's Word. These are now the standards that I believe to be what God has. Why? Because I will to do His will. I want to do His will. That we find that in John chapter number 17, a wonderful promise of Scripture. So the first question I think we ought to ask on a daily basis is, am I willing to do God's will uh, once I know it? Once I know it. And, and then don't ask that question and then never read the Bible because you don't want to know it. I'm willing to do it, Lord, if you'll show it to me and I'm not looking. <laughs> My dad... My dad years ago, 
uh, we lost a, a man that had been uh, leading our music in our church for years. He had been leading music, did a great job. And uh, when he left, my dad came to me, because I could play the piano a little bit, and I, had, uh, I enjoy singing. I don't know that I'm good at singing. But he had, and I could at least hold a tune, I think, mostly. He said, uh, Greg, I need you to fill in and lead music for, for me while I find somebody else. And, of course, you know, being a staff member and your dad being the pastor, uh, you, you can't tell him no as an employee because you know that he'll tell you as the dad, you know, you got to do it anyway. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's one of those, I'm asking you to do it, but really I'm telling you. Uh, kind of things, and so I did it. The problem was he didn't tell me he wasn't going to be looking for somebody to, to replace, and so I ended up doing it for like 12 years. I ended up leading the music at our church. Um, don't be that way with Scripture. Don't say, Lord, I'm willing to do your will, but I'm not going to look. I don't want to have to change where I'm at, so I won't look. Have a will to do His will and then pour into Scripture. Oh, I want to learn it. I want to know His heart. If it talks about my hair, I want to know what it says. If it talks about my makeup or my jewelry or my dress or my, my speech or my, uh, the way I uh, conduct myself, my attitude around other people, if he talks about that, I want to know what he says. I want to know his heart on the issue. Why? Because I want to mature. I want to grow closer to him day by day. Number two, 1 Corinthians chapter number six. Some of you may have this one memorized. It's a great passage of Scripture, and I've used it before. 1 Corinthians chapter number six. And uh, let's go to verse number 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse number 12. Paul says this, now understand this, when Christ died on the cross of Calvary, we are not under the law anymore. We are now under grace. The law said, um, if I was rebellious to mom and dad, I was to be stoned to death. Man, I am glad that was over by the time I was born. How many of y'all were glad about that one too? Yes. We are now under grace, and we don't get stoned anymore. But does God take pleasure in us being rebellious? No. So the law was helpful to us, wasn't it? It helped us to know the heart of God on that issue, didn't it? So we need to look at the law that way. Not everything in the law is for today, but all of it teaches us His heart about the subject matter. So, so let's look at this here. Look in verse number 12, because Paul speaks of this liberty now that we have in Christ. God's not going to strike me dead if I rebel against mom and dad anymore. Look what it says, verse number 12. All things are lawful to me. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's under the blood, and I will never lose that salvation. If I sin again... I'm still secure. Why? Because I put my faith in Him and I have liberty. Now, Paul speaks in Romans chapter numbers 5, 6, and 7 that we do not use that liberty as an occasion for the flesh. We don't use it to go sin. We love Him enough that we want to mature in the Christian life. So our desire is to draw closer to Him. Look what he says here. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not what? Expedient. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be brought under the power of any. Okay, we mentioned a minute ago uh, the idea of uh, the uh, smoking. Let's use smoking for an instance. I, I've tried to encourage many, many people. I've lost several family members that uh, died of lung cancer because they could not quit smoking. 
And uh, I, I don't get on. The, I don't get mad at people because they smoke, but I will encourage them every way I can to quit smoking, because I know how damaging it is. But if you ever needed something in Scripture to say, well, where does it talk about this? I, I would say, look at verse number twelve. By the way, you ever notice other things that bring us under its power? What about overeating? Oh my. I'm not talking about eating, because all of us have to eat to live, but overeating. When you have a day at Keith Heights where the men bring in all that delicious food, and then you go back for dessert after it's all over, and you sit there at a table with four other men, and not one of them raise a hand to say, Pastor, you need to stop eating. Not one of them. Then it has brought me under that power, hasn't it? What other things in our life? Maybe a form of entertainment. It has power over us. Something we do that we enjoy so much that everything else takes a back seat to it. Does it have power over me? What about language? What about the words we use? What about the influence of our friends? Do they have power over us? The question being, will this have a tendency to enslave me? Question number two, will this have a tendency to enslave me or bring me under its power? You say, how do I, how do I grow? How do I mature? How do I live in such a way that my life is more and more holy and I'm more and more pleasing to God? We find the things in our life that will get a hold on us. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of this thing. It says, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth what? So easily, what's the next word? Beset us. Not just the occasional, I, I messed up there. This is the sin that besets us. This is the sin that gets the control of, gets a hold on us. What about the things we look at, the things we listen to? The things we read, do they have a hold on us? What about the hobbies that we have? Do they have a hold on us? So we ask a couple of questions here. Am I willing to do God's will once I know it? Number two, will this have a tendency to enslave me or to bring me under its control? Number three... All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Expedient. The word expedient is the idea of uh, it was it was a it was a an athletic term uh, originally, and dealt with the idea of home field or home court advantage. Uh, does it give me the benefit? Does it tilt things in my direction to my advantage would be the idea. What advantage are we trying to do? We're trying to gain an advantage in being holy because we know we have a sin nature that is drawing us back, don't we? So is what I'm going to do, is it going to be expedient to me living in a holy life and a a life that is pleasing to God? Is it going to help give me the home court advantage? Okay, so... Let me throw this out. Okay, so 
if we're trying to be careful of, um, let's say, our, our, our thought life, the things we watch, then is it expedient to have cable television in the house? Now, I'm not saying is it wrong. I'm saying is it expedient. This isn't a matter of right wrong. This is a matter of maturity or immaturity. If it, if it doesn't bother you to have cable in the, in, the, in the house and it's not going to cause you to look at things or be tempted to look at things you shouldn't or listen to things you shouldn't, then, then, then you know, go to it. But most people that I know have problems with things they see and hear. In fact, I find over and over again in Scripture that it tells us to be very, very careful of those things that we see and hear. So, is it expedient? Now, you say, Brother Gregor, you tell me to go home and get rid of my cable TV. That's not what I'm telling you. What I'm saying is, these are things that will help us to grow in maturity as you pray about it and seek God's heart on the issue. I do know that God's desire is for us to only allow things into our life that help us in an, in an expedient way to live a holy life, an unfettered, an unhindered way with no obstacles to be able to live a godly lifestyle. Some of us fill our life with so much worldliness, and then we wonder why we can't get victory in our Christian life to live holy. Uh, we, we surround ourselves with things that, that bombard us with worldliness. And then we say, I, I, I don't know why I can't live more like the Lord. Well, maybe it's because we got things that are not expedient to our Christian living. And maybe we need to go home and do some inventory and get rid of some things. Maybe some books, maybe some magazines, maybe some computers or televisions, maybe some radios. I, I don't know, whatever the case may be. Maybe you're, maybe you're in the habit of going somewhere. I was reading, um, uh, Brother Andy Tully had some, some uh, things I was reading on uh, just recently. And he said, you know, uh, a, a person can walk into, uh, let's say like a Walmart, and we would look at them and be appalled at what they were wearing. But if you had them stand in that exact spot, don't move a muscle, and you were able to take the building and lift it off and all the merchandise, move it out from among them, and put some sand under their feet and some water rolling in on the waves, we would say they were perfectly fine. Why is it appalling in one place and not in the other? There's a double standard there. Things we need to consider as Christians when it comes to our testimony, things that sometimes we don't think about. We just assume that, hey, since this is what the world does, I guess it's okay then. Um, is it going to help me to have um, something that's going to give me that, that, that edge, that advantage? Is it expedient for me? All right. Uh, let's see. What number? I don't even know what number. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 3. I'm sorry, verse number 23. Once again, Paul speaking here. He makes a similar statement. He says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. And he brings one new thing into this verse that he did not bring into the other one. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. What does the word edify mean? To build up, to undergird, to strengthen. Okay, we get the idea or the gist of what edifying means. Again, Building me up physically? I mean, I can eat a lot of food and do that. What does it mean to edify? Are we talking about my physical body? Am I talking about maybe going and lifting weights? That's probably it, right? Going to the gym, and that's edifying, right? I'm building my muscles, and I'm building the arms, and building the strength, and building the stamina. That's 
edifying, isn't it? Within the context of this passage, what is Paul speaking of here? What, what needs to be edified? The body or the spirit, the, the, the character, the Christian morality, the Christian walk, the Christian life? Which, which one do you think he's talking about here? He's talking about our Christian life. Can we say it this way? Our maturity, our growth, our daily walk with him. The things that we have in our lives, that we surround ourselves in, that we participate in, does it edify me? Does it cause me to draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or does it pull me further away from Him? This one's going to affect some of our companions and our friends. This one's going to affect some of the places that we go, some of the restaurants that we go to, maybe some of the forms of entertainment that we go to. Is this going to give me a benefit in my life spiritually? When I'm involved in that situation, and you can take and put whatever you want to in that blank there, is it going to cause me to be drawn closer to the Lord Jesus Christ? All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. All right, question next, whatever we're on. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. And verse number 12. And by the way, <laughs> I have heard people in churches, I've been in churches, I've pastored in churches, where when you preach on things like this, you're going to get some people over here that are red in the face, blood blood vessel popping mad that you preached on it, and you have other people over here so excited that you did, and then if you don't preach on it, you have people over here that are popping in the face, red face, why didn't you preach on it, Pastor? Over here, everybody's glad, and oh, way to go, Pastor. Can I encourage us in this? We are all in this boat together. This isn't Pastor standing up here saying, I've got my life all in order, and y'all don't, and you need to fix it. We're all in these battles. These are daily battles that every single one of us fight. And it's not any easier for any one of us than the other. But they are the biblical things. And if we're going to claim that we hold to this book as our sole authority of faith and practice, we cannot always just teach on the love of God. That I love to teach on. But sometimes we have to teach on these as well. And they must be understood. We must know them from a biblical perspective. Number, whatever we're on here, number uh, four or five, First uh, Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 12. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. What, what I'm involving myself in, the things I have in my life, my attitude, my conduct, my speech, my relationships, the things I let come into my eye and ear gate, every nuance of my life, will it cause someone to stumble? Will it cause someone to stumble? First Corinthians chapter 8. He says in verse number, he's dealing here with uh, liberty and the weaker brother. 
he uses the illustration. In fact, I'm going to take the time. Y'all aren't in a hurry, are you? I just have to be in Florida sometime tomorrow, so I'm in no rush. Let's, let's read chapter 8 together slowly and thoughtfully. Can we do this? Okay, let, this may be a help to some of us. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, again, this was a big thing in that time period, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. In other words, everybody's like, hey, I know better than you. No, I know better than you. That was all pride. Charity is something that we're all going to come together and say, what, what can we hold to that will be helpful to my brother? Not what do I believe and I'm settled and they better get it right. What can I do in love and charity to help edify them? Look what it says here. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. Boy, isn't that the truth. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things which are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. <laughs> that idol is just a piece of stone. There's, there's no deity there. That's what Paul's saying. It's a piece of wood. Who cares if somebody sacrificed something to it? I'm going to eat it because that's not a god. That's just a stone or a piece of wood. I have liberty in that. That's what Paul's saying here. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice on idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in Him and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we by him. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. Paul said, look, I know this. A lot of y'all know this. But there's some that are trusting Christ as their Savior. They, they don't quite know this yet. They haven't gotten that far yet. Notice he says this, Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol... Unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto idols. Notice it wasn't the eating of the meat. It was eating of the meat as a thing that was offered unto the idol. You see the difference here? They considered that a god, and therefore when they were eating, they were thinking, okay, that's part of that worship process with that god. They had a conscience about it. Because they didn't realize, hey, that's just a stone there. It's not a god. And somebody may have carved a figure and called it a god, but there is only one god they didn't understand their liberty yet. Notice what he says here. Uh, Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered as unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. In other words, if they were to eat of it, it's going to defile them. Why? Because their conscience doesn't know any better yet. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Paul said it really doesn't matter for those of us that know. But, so, so he says, okay, look, we have liberty, we know, we understand. It is not a problem to eat that meat. We can eat it all day long and all day on Friday if you want to and be stuffed all weekend, have great barbecue. Because that's not an idol. 
But there are some people that came out of that that still look at that and say, that's meat sacrificed to an idol. I can't have any part of that meat. Why? Because there's a conscience there that it's an idolatrous thing. Paul said there's no problem there for us that know, but there is a problem for them, and it's going to offend their conscience, and in them it's going to defile them. Notice what Paul says then. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Are we by our actions going to embolden this guy who thinks it is a worshipful act to eat that meat uh, that, that was sacrificed to idol? Are we not going to embolden him to say, okay, it's okay to eat that? And him to defile his conscience as an act of worship to an idol. While we sit over here in knowledge saying there is no worship there because that's not an idol, and we eat it. Paul was saying, look, it's lawful for me. Does that mean he goes and eats it? Look what he says here. And though thy knowledge shall, uh, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. There are some people who understand we have some liberty in some things. But some people aren't there yet. And the conduct that we have for us to say, well, I don't see anything in black and white, so I'm going to live the way I want to in that area. You're going to cause someone else to stumble. Notice in verse number 12, But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, notice what Paul says, I, the one with knowledge, the one with liberty, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth. Not going to do it, lest I make my brother to offend. Is it, was it okay for Paul to do? Sure it was. Was he going to do it? Nope, not on your life. Why? Because he knew it was going to harm another brother in Christ. Are there things that we can have in our life that we have liberty in? Sure. Is it expedient or edifying for us to do them? Not always. And this, again, is not an issue of right-wrong. This is an issue of immaturity, maturity. You see the difference here? There's some things we've got to understand from Scripture. If it's going to cause my brother to offend, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I want to be a mature Christian. I'm not going to be the cause of someone else stumbling. So is it going to cause someone else to stumble is our next question. Is it going to cause someone else to stumble? Can I go into a bar and hold a service there and preach inside of a bar? Would that be a good thing? Would that be a right thing? Well, I don't see anything sinful in it. But is it a wise thing? No. Do you think maybe some young Christian, somebody just got saved, drives by and sees pastor walking out of a bar? It'd be my luck, a banana peel would be right there and I'd stumble on it and they'd think I was drunk probably. And all I did was go in there to preach. It's a good illustration of this. Did I have liberty to do that? Sure I do. Can I reach some people in that bar? Probably. 
Is it a wise thing to do? No. When I was in college, there were guys that would do this. They would, they would go out into the, and they'd go to these bars to go, go they call it bar preaching. Not a wise thing to do. Uh, going to a rough part of town on a dark night. I'm going to reach the druggies and the prostitutes. Liberty to do that? Absolutely. Wise to do that? Absolutely not. The testimony of Christ is harmed so badly in oftentimes unwise but well-intentioned things that we do. It's not a matter of right-wrong. It's a matter of am I mature spiritually or am I immature spiritually? Am I growing? Uh, last one, and we'll leave with this one. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10. This, this really should be the only one needed, but it is a very general, all-encompassing one. And uh, sometimes it helps us to kind of dig deep and, and get a little more intricate into some things. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do. Now, I like the eating and the drinking. And then the Bible says, and whatsoever I do. This is every other aspect of my life. I'm to do most to the glory of God. Is that what your Bible says? I'm to do some. I'm to do a lot. All but just a little bit. Come on, help me out here a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm doing how much? All of it to the glory of God. Next time we're deciding, should I do this, should I not? Should I wear this, should I not? Should I cut my hair, should I not? Should I speak this way, should I not? Should I have these friends, should I not? Whatever it is, ask this question. Will it bring glory to Him? Will it help people... See Christ in me. Now, I've given you, I don't know, five or six, maybe six questions there, I think. If after asking all of those, <laughs> you still have doubt whether you should do it or not, then don't do it. Abstain from it. If it's still questionable to you, you say, why should I do that? Let's look in Romans chapter 14. Another passage that Paul dealt with, I think one of the great passages of Scripture on Christian liberty that is so little teach, taught on, and very few preachers will even touch this chapter, But uh, and a lot of Christians don't like to read it, uh, great, great chapter on Christian liberty. But look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter number 14. We're going to read several verses down to verse number 5, starting in verse number 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye but not to doubtful disputations. I've taught on this before. Just because a Christian, just because somebody who names the name of Christ is not living the way we are doesn't mean that we reject Him and turn Him out. I know churches that will tell people, you need to go on down the road and find another church because you don't dress, you don't look, you don't act, you don't smell, you don't talk the way we do. That's not what the Bible's saying here. It doesn't say cast them out. What it does tell us here is Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye... But not to doubtful disputations. You don't do it to debate the issues. And we know when a person comes in, are they seeking to grow? Are they looking for a place to fellowship and sink some roots and learn and grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is this somebody who's just coming in to be a troublemaker because they know where we stand on things as a church and they just want to make a stink of things? So that's, that's the qualifier that Paul gives to this accepting the weaker brother. 
not to doubtful disputations, okay? But if a person comes in sincerely, they're not all that they should be. Was there ever a time after you guys got saved that you were not all you should be? How many of you sitting here right now today are still not all you should be? There we go, okay. So the truth of the matter is we're all weaker brothers in some, some degree, aren't we? Aren't we glad that we didn't get kicked out when we came here? We've got other brothers and sisters that understand that and understand our heart is to grow together in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. He says, Receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that ye may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let him that eateth, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him to stand and make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man, and notice this phrase, be what? Fully persuaded, and everyone with him. Is that what it says? No, it says in his what? Own mind. If you're not. If you are not absolutely, fully persuaded in your own mind, then don't. And by the way, if you're not fully persuaded in your own mind, don't get mad at others who are. And those of you who are fully persuaded in your mind, don't get mad at those who are not yet. That's what Paul says. Let me rephrase that. That's what God said through the writer of Paul, writing of Paul. He says, verse number four, verse number three: Let him that eateth, that, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. You say, well, that person thinks that it's okay to celebrate this day and another person thinks it's not. That's fine if you're settled in your heart on the issue, but you're not to judge the other. Well, I think you can eat this, Pastor, and others don't think you can eat this. That's fine as long as you're settled in your heart on it, but you're not to judge the other on it. We know the heart of God, and as we grow, we become settled in our own minds. Notice the Bible says this, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. His own mind. Now, does that mean we can't encourage and teach others to grow in those areas? No, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying don't belittle them. Don't be judgmental of them. Help them to understand it. If it's something you've come to a full understanding of, then help them understand it. Help teach them. Help bring them along. But don't sit there and cut them off because they're not all that you are. I'm thankful that others don't cut me off for not being all that they are. And I hope that I can extend the same grace to them. Let us be fully persuaded in our own minds. What is that? That's maturing. It's allowing us to come to Scripture and say, 
Does it say black and white? If it does, no doubt about it, I'm going to do it. Or I'm going to abstain from it, depending on what it says. If I can't find it black and white, then I say, okay, but is there a principle that teaches me about this that I can apply to this decision? Okay? If there is, then I apply it. If we don't find the principle, it does not mean that we just go on and do it. <laughs> now we say, is there something that shows me the heart of God on the issue? If it shows me His heart, I want to do what His heart wants. Oh, Brother Greg, that's going to be a standard way beyond what other people have. Well, are we concerned about the other people thinking of us? Or are we concerned about what God thinks of us? That's going to take me... Oh, Pastor, you don't understand. If I, if I do what the Bible says, I'm going to be an oddball. I'm going to be a peculiar people. <laughs> Probably. And if not, you've probably got the wrong Bible. <laughs> the day we live today. Uh, folks, I am saying this. I, I, I'm not looking down my nose at anybody if you're not this. And I hope that you don't look down your nose at me if you're more than I am. What I am saying is this ought to be the driving force in our daily walk. This ought to be the thing that we long for. This ought to be the thing we look to Scripture for. And we say, Lord, I want to know your, your heart on these issues. I want to know Your will on them. I want to know Your position on them. And I want to know them well. And the Bible says, if I will do His will, I'll know His doctrine. He'll make it apparent. I've never seen anybody come to Scripture with a sincere heart, not coming to try to prove their point from it, but a sincere heart searching the Scriptures. I've never seen one time that the Holy Spirit did not illuminate the truth to them and help them to see it. Be careful that we don't come to Scripture trying to prove what we believe. But let's come to Scripture and say, teach me what I should be believing. And that ought to be the direction we look at. I hope that will help us. It's not, not necessarily a message on specific standards as much, but we did use some illustrations today. And you may be at different places in those areas than I am. And I may be at different places on those areas than you are. But I should say that all of us ought to have a heart that's pursuing after those things. may not be quite there yet, but I'm moving the right direction on them. By the way, if every church would take that as their, as their desire, we would not have churches falling away from God's Word and following the world. We'd have them pulling away from the world and following God's Word. And it's not going to build the largest church in America, I'll tell you that. It's just not. But it's going to build some very strong Christians. And it's going to be some people and some vessels that God can look at and say, there's a vessel of honor that I can use for my work. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be. I want to be a vessel of honor. All right, I hope that helps. Let's uh, go ahead and have a word of prayer and be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it. Lord, uh, some things in Scripture are difficult to hear, especially in the day that we live where our minds have been so bombarded by worldliness and haphazardness with the Christian life. Standards have all but gone away, and we don't even hold to them anymore. And yet, Lord, they are in Scripture. I pray that you would help us to look for them, to cling to them, to long for them. 
And so, Father, help us, I pray. Uh, not just not just one or two, but all of us to be maturing and growing daily in the Christian life. Father, help feed us from Your Word each and every week. Each day as we come to it, I pray that You would help Your Holy Spirit to illuminate uh, or have the Holy Spirit help us in illuminating the truth in our hearts and having full understanding of it. May we know Your heart. May we know Your will in these matters. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.